0: I'd like to extend a good morning to each one here this morning. Uh, it's not my exactly my forte here, uh, but I'm gonna give it, make it my best. So I had to think of when I realized i had to have devotions here. I was thinking of what to share on, and I guess like I thought about our words and the power that our words have, and I kind of like that's a broad subject. So I narrowed it down to the power of kind words. And in Psalms 19, verse 14, uh, David tells us, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. And that acceptable is something that is pleasing, is delightful, and is desirable. So we want our words that we speak, they want we want them to be something that God can... Find a joy in, and it not only gives God a joy, it also gives us a joy to be able to, like, speak kind words. It's a, it's a two-way street. It goes both ways. Actually, it's a three-way. Um, it gives God joy. It gives us joy, and it gives the person who we tell to, or speak the words to joy as well. And the verse I first found, and the verse that I kind of uh, put this around, is in Proverbs 12:25. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a kind word makes him glad. And it's so true. We look around, we see the people around us. There's so many people that, like, depression's become a huge thing, and, like, it's the worry. We worry about things and about, you know, the circumstances, the future. And it's just a simple kind word can lift somebody's spirits up, can make somebody's day go a lot better. You know, it doesn't have to be like, so many people, they're just, they're down because their, their thought process is negative. When we tell them a kind word, it can change, it can flip the switch, and it can make their thought process change, and they can think positive thoughts. And anxiety is something that is, it's, it's heaviness, it's a fear, and it's apprehensions. Like, like, there's, a kind word can make that go away. Like, just a few kind words. It can be as simple as being polite, like telling somebody good morning, like just just simply saying that hi or, you know, thank you or holding the door or it goes into, you know, our words into what we do for people as well. Like it it can be simple things and they can make a difference. In Proverbs 15, verses one through seven. It's a. First one is a very commonly known uh, verse, but the first seven verses, uh, there's a few of those verses touch on the words we use. Uh, reading out the King James Version, a soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge to right, but the mouth of fools poureth out foolishness. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness therein is a breach in the spirit. A fool despises his father's instruction, but he that regardeth reproof is prudent. In the house of righteous is much treasure, but in the revenues of wicked is trouble. The lips of the wise disperse knowledge, but the heart of the foolish doeth not so. The first verse talks about, uh, like, like how we respond to words that are said to us. Um, do we respond back with, you know, a kind word, or do we respond back with a fighting word? Um, the second verse talks about the wise and the fools, you know, what's in our, what's, what, what we say. like It shows a lot about us, like who we are. Um, the, what's in the heart comes out of the mouth. And then skipping down into verse 4, a wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness therein is a breach in the spirit. That perverseness therein, a breach in the spirit, it shows, it, it goes back to like our mouths being a window into our health, our heart. It shows that, like, what we, what our thought process is, what we're thinking about all the time, you know, and it comes back to, like, what, how we think makes a big impact on what we say to others and how we respond to others. Like, if we're thinking negative things, if we're not wanting to, you know, be somewhere and then we walk past someone and we just walk past someone and don't say anything, like, it doesn't make their day better. It doesn't make our day better. But if we walk past someone and we say, good morning, or hi, how are you? It makes their day better, and it makes our day better. Uh, and skipping down to verse 7, the lips of the wise disperse knowledge, but the heart of the foolish does not So, And sometimes, you know, I look at myself, I'm young, I don't know much, I don't feel like I'm wise. It doesn't mean that we have to be, you know, somebody with a lot of knowledge and, like, we gotta be the smartest person to be able to do this. Like we can just simply from little up, we've been taught, you know, to be polite. We've been taught to, you know, use our manners. And I struggle a lot with using my manners. Like this is something that I need to like this goes to myself first. Like, like just simply using your manners and saying, Thank you, good morning, hi. Um, like we don't have to be wise. It's just if we're if we're not, if we're if we're being foolish, we're not wise. So if we, there's it's a thing as such as you know we start from the bottom up. We learn, and so if we're learning, we're not foolish. Going on to Isaiah verse, uh, chapter 50, verse 4, the Lord has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Uh, the King James Version. Uh, in place to sustain would have said speak a word in season to him that is weary. Comes back to that timing. So many times it's just using our manners. That's the timing. It's all we need. And like we can see some we can we can read someone by their face. Like today everybody's walking around they have masks on. You're like you can't see their face. You can't tell. You can look at their eyes. You can see a lot through people's eyes. You can still you can still see into those eyes. You can still see if somebody's hurting they're happy. They're sad. You can still see those emotions. And, like, it, you can tell by how they carry. Their body Their body language tells us a lot about them. And, like, that, that timing is something, you know. It's just as simple, again, as holding the door for someone and saying good morning to them as they walk through the door. It can make the difference in their day. So, going on down, um, the kindness means refraining from complaining and gossiping. It's something that I I struggle with again. It's just complaining, you know, not not being content with how life's treating me. Like I want to complain all the time, you know, you know, and like when I start complaining to whoever I'm complaining, it doesn't make their day better. It doesn't make my day better. Yeah, it might feel like I'm getting it out of my system, but sometimes it's because of how my thought process was the few hours before that. That's why I'm complaining. It's because my thought process, I was thinking negative. I was down in my thought process. And then I go to somebody else, and then I start talking to them, and I start dragging them down as well. When I start thinking those negative thoughts, I find I need to take those negative thoughts. I need to start praying to God. I need to take them and say, God, I have got negative thoughts. Like, help me with this, and you can give me positive thoughts. And that that changes your mind the process of your mind and you can have positive and uplifting thoughts. And then when you go and you start talking to that person, you start talking about the positive and then it helps both of you. It brings both of you up from there. So James five, it tells us to pray for one another. So it's just kind of going back to that thing of, you know, when you start thinking negative thoughts about others, about yourself, you need to pray to God and that that helps us change that process. Proverbs eleven seventeen: A man who is kind benefits himself, but a cruel man hurts himself. That just, I think Solomon was a very wise man. I think I think Solomon went through a lot in his lifetime. Um, I don't think you become. I think when he asked God for that wisdom, I believe God probably gave him that wisdom. But I think also God may probably gave him the chance to learn, and you know get that understanding. I don't think God just was like boom made him super wise right then. I think God put him through trials and put him through things. And like it was the things that went on in his life and the things that he endured through his life that gave him the words that he did uh, to write in Proverbs. And I think, I think Solomon said it very well when he s- says that a man who is kind benefits himself, but a cruel man hurts himself. Going to Matthew 12, there's Jesus gives us the words uh, I've written down verse 36 through 37. There's a few verses before that that really go well with that. Uh, starting in verse Matthew 12, starting in verse 33, either make the tree, either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt. For the tree is known by his fruit. O generation of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh a good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. but I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment, for by the words for by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned verse thirty five is kind of what I've been. Talking about a good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringing forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringing forth evil things. I don't think that needs much explaining. I think it's pretty direct forward. It tells us a lot. Going into verse 36, But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. I think God holds, I know God holds us accountable for what we say. And like, I think it's important that we take stock of the words we say. We say a lot of things in a single day. That means we say a whole lot in a, in a single week. It adds up, and like if we we don't have to worry about what we say if we have positive things to say, and we have negative things to say, then I think it's probably better we don't say anything because I think God also probably holds us accountable for our thoughts, but our our words are really come out, and this is what really define us, like our words will turn into our actions and our actions will turn into our character and our character into our reputation, and I think it's important that we Start with that thought process. We pray to God. We ask Him to help us, and we ask Him to uh, show us, you know, the people that are hurting. I think I know for myself that when I'm able to say a kind word, one kind word to somebody, it changes my day, and it makes my day better, and it makes the person that I said that word to makes their day better. It's, It's a benefit both ways. And then I think it also becomes you know a shining jewel to God that we can present to him is something we something simple we can do for him to show that back that love and respect back to him for what he's done for us so i just i think our thoughts our thoughts are very important and it comes back what our thoughts are, are our words and i think it's important that we take stock on our words and we sometimes stop and think of what we're doing for others I just appreciate y'all's attentiveness, and I hope I could. I know this was good for me to look into this, and I hope you all found a little bit something out of it as well.
1: Good morning. Good to be with you all again. I've been thinking about time recently, probably for two reasons. One, I turned 50 in November, and, you know, 30 didn't phase me, 40 didn't bother me, and I got to 50, and that kind of sat me back, I went, wait a minute, 50, that's half a century. Well, that's more than half of my life gone. Uh, that got my attention. You know, I could comfort myself with the fact that at least Alfie's ahead of me. (laughs) I'm still 50. I grew up with Alfie, and, you know, when I was a little boy, I thought time wouldn't go fast enough. Alfie would jump ahead of me, and for 10 months, he's 10 months ahead of me, I uh, I couldn't wait until those two months when I'd catch up with him for a little bit. I mean, he was 10 for all that time, and I thought I'd never turn 10. I got to 10... And yes, I'm caught up with Alfie, but what do you know? He jumps again. Anyway, I'm still 50, and I started realizing that I've got less time left, most likely. I've got less time ahead of me than I have behind me. And that was good for me. It, it's been good for me to process that and say, okay, so let's reevaluate here. What's important? What do I want to accomplish? How do I decide what should, be? what should be my priorities? If I have limited time to work with and it's disappearing, I can't slow it down. How do I make use of that? The second reason I've been thinking about time is probably because I was, I was originally scheduled to preach on January 3rd, the first Sunday of this year. And so I was thinking about New Year and just the passage of time. I've entitled this sermon, Using Time Wisely. You know, time had a beginning, and time time as we know it will have an end, and both of those are determined by God. We are not guaranteed a certain amount of time. I don't know how long I will be here. Neither do you. Each of our lives are a different length. Each day we're here, we have the same amount of time as everyone else. We've all got 24 hours. We can't choose how long the day is gonna be, we can just choose how we're going to spend those 24 hours. Why did God create time? I'm not going to pretend that I can answer that question this morning. I've wondered about a couple things. Did God create time just... Well, I think one thing, it it tells us something about God. We see something of what God is like. Uh, I love early mornings. I'm a morning person, I like to get up and I go to Micah's room once he's awake because his, his window, he has a beautiful view to the east. And I like to raise his blind and stand and just look out that window and watch the dawn. Watch the color in the sky and have the sun coming up. And that's a reminder to me every morning that God is faithful. You know, day and night continue just the way God said it would. God's faithful. It's also a reminder, each day is a new beginning. Sometimes we look back and say, wow, glad that day's over. Then there's a new beginning. There's a new day. You know, maybe maybe God created time because He knew what, well, He did know what our bodies needed, what's best for us. Day and night, He knew we would need rest. Maybe it's just so we are aware of the passage of time. The God has given me the gift of life, time, and he allows me to choose if I will honor him with the time he's given me or if I will ignore him and live only for myself. I can choose that. I don't want to do that. Going to turn briefly to Genesis chapter one. In Genesis chapter one, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, I've Anne's got that up here for me. Thanks to Ann for my little timeline up here. So place that here. God creation, God creating the heaven, and the earth. Before that, you have eternity past. Picture this line continuing. I wanted originally, I was planning to have this go all the way out to the wall on each side. And because I was picturing the width of it and thought I'll have the arrow all the way on the outside walls, you know, it'd give more of a feeling of that stretching out to infinity. But my practical wife remembered that there are doors here. <laughs> That wouldn't work so well. But picture this line continuing, and out across the railroad tracks, and across the woods, and over Wayne's house, and then out over Herman's house, and it goes, it just keeps on going beyond what my mind can grasp. Eternity passed. God existed before anything. He has always existed. And then God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1-1 we have here. And I'm going to read, uh, let me just read 1-5, to 5. in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the base of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Then on the So God created light on the first day, and I'm going to jump down to, to verses 14 to 18 in Genesis chapter 1. Then God said, this is on the fourth day, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. Let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and divide the light from the darkness. And God saw it was good. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. So on the, on the first day, God created light. On the fourth day, He creates the sun and moon. So there was light before the sun. And... My mind says how's that? But God is light. And we're told in Revelation I see I forgot to put that in my notes. Let me turn to Revelation 21 quickly. Revelation 21 and verse 23. No? it's actually verse Oh yeah, twenty-one, twenty-three. the city, this is talking about the new Jerusalem, and the city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. God is the light in heaven. <clears throat> so it's not a problem for God to create light before he creates the sun. I'm going to be turning to 2 Peter and reading just a few verses there from 2 Peter chapter 3. And this takes us to the end of time, or what the Bible often calls throughout the Old Testament and some places in the New, the day of the Lord, when Jesus returns. And you'll see up here, I've placed us in between here. We would put, if we were spacing this out time-wise, we would probably put Jesus' birth somewhere in here, you've got this other time happening, here's Jesus' second return or the day of the Lord, i have placed us here, real close, because I think we really are very close to the day of the Lord. We don't know exactly when that happens. And let me just read from Second uh, Peter chapter 3, I'm reading verses 8 to 13. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat, both on the Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth, in which righteousness dwells. We have hope for the future. I believe that we are living in the last days before Jesus returned. I think knowing the exact day he comes isn't important or he he would have told us when that is. What is more important is how I am using the time that he gives me so that I'm ready when he comes. Throughout Scripture, we're reminded that our lives are short. Here's just a couple references to that. Psalm 144, verses 3 and 4 says, Lord, what is man that you take knowledge of him? Or the son of man that you are mindful of him? Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. Like a breath. You take it in and breathe it out. It's over. And you're ready for the next one. That's how the psalmist pictures our lifespan, or like a passing shadow. Ever watch? I remember being a little boy in school back here and being out here break and watching the shadows from the clouds move across the field. And it's gone. Like a passing shadow. James 4, verse 14 says, For what is your life? It is even a vapor and appears for a little time and vanishes away. Or we could go to Psalm 90. Psalm 90 in verse 12 says, "...teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts to wisdom." Beachy's translation is, "...teach us to appreciate the brevity of our lives, so that we will use them wisely for you." Going to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. And the remainder of our time there. <clears throat> in Ephesians, beginning in Ephesians 4, verse 17, and on through 521, Paul is contrasting the before and after of the Christians' lives. Before you're a Christian, and now since you're a Christian. And, and he's contrasting these and telling them how they should be living as Christians. I'm going to be Jumping in, starting with uh, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1. Actually, I'll, I'll read the last verse of 4 just for context. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ's sake forgave you. Let me just back up and say that before this, he listed some things that they're to put off. Putting off the old man. Here are things shouldn't be part of your life as a Christian. Get rid of them, put them off, and then putting on the new man, and there's things we're to put on. We're not to grieve the Holy Spirit that's given to us at our new birth. To listen to His promptings, obey Him, and to be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving, even as God in Christ forgave you. Chapter 5, therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. We are to imitate God the way young children imitate their parents. It's fun to watch that. I remember as a little boy walking beside my dad. We're going over the hill, walking out to uh, probably to have Pete work on something in his garage for us. But we're, we're walking up over the hill, and I was trying my best to make my strides match dad's. And I'm really working to... To stretch I couldn't stretch my little legs that far, but I'm really working to to do it. I'm imitating Dad because I look up to him. I find myself, even today, I'll do something and go, I wonder why I did. you know, I remember Dad doing that. We tend to imitate our parents. <clears throat> now that we are born again, we need to imitate our father. Can you think of a higher call than imitating God? You know we're told, in three times in Ephesians chapter five, we're told how to walk. And I want to take note of those, those three times that we're told how to walk. just mention them briefly. Uh, the first is walk in love in verse two. Walk as children of light in verse 8 and walk carefully in verse 15. I'm just going to mention the first two walks and then I'd like to spend more time on the last one. So this is how we are to walk or how we are to live as God's children. Let's go ahead and read uh, Ephesians chapter 5, 1 through 7. Therefore be imitators of God as dear children. And walk in love, as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness and covetousness, let it not even be named among you, as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator unclean person or covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. So I am to imitate Jesus, verse 2, who loved us and gave himself. Jesus didn't... Jesus gave himself. He's given us many other things, but Jesus gave himself. It was a self-sacrificing love. I am to imitate that in my relationship with others. Giving of myself. The things listed in verse three are the opposite of love. They are self-seeking. They are out of control desires. Excessive. Like I mentioned, I'm just not going to say much about the verse 2, so I'm going to move on. Picking up in verse 8, reading 8 through 14. For once you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful to even speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest to the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, Arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. <clears throat> so it's Christ who gives us light. He also says we are light. Verse 8, you once were darkness. doesn't say you were once in darkness, and now you are in the light. But you were once darkness, and now you are light in the Lord. So we're to live like it. We are to... Left with no secrets, we're open, honest. We're not only to, we're also to, in in verse 11, not only have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness, but we're we're to expose or reprove works of darkness. Have nothing to do with it. As God's children, we should be living like our Father, honoring Him. I want to focus on uh, verses 15 to 21. These are the verses I was thinking about just in, in considering time and asking the Lord, what should be my priorities? My mind was drawn to these verses. Picking up in verse 15, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. I'm going to stop there, after that he goes into husband and wife relationship. I'm going to stick with the uh, verses 15 to 21 this morning. In verse 15, see that you walk circumspectly. When's the last time someone said to you, be circumspect? We don't hear that, do we? It's not a word we use today, it's a word that means carefully with exactness, with forethought, it's the opposite of carelessly or thoughtlessly. We're to walk circumspectly or walk carefully. It's like, well one of the things my family likes to do is uh, we like to hang out around streams, go down to the Rappahannock River, and we like to go rock rock hopping out into the stream. Usually it's, we'll, we'll keep Working our way out there, hopping rocks early spring, when the water's cold, you can cast just a little bit further if you get out there. We like to fish, and so we'll go rock hopping. Well, you have to be really careful about that. You you don't just go hopping. You want to plan your next step. If you're going from slippery rock to slippery rock, you kind of you eyeball it and plan out where you're going before you make the jump. That's a little like walking carefully, circumspectly. We, You're intentional about what you do, where you head. We're to walk circumspectly as, as wise, not as fools, but as wise. Wisdom is putting knowledge to practical use, In the situation I am in, putting knowledge to practical use. You can have knowledge and not use it. You can know something in your head but not live it. But wisdom is putting that into practical use in the situation I'm in. Verse 16 way we're to do that is redeeming the time because the days are evil redeeming the time to buy to buy it back to make the most of your time as one translation says Warren Wiersbe said redeeming the time is making the best of the op- the best use of opportunities that God gives us or I'm calling it using our time wisely Because the days are evil, if I am not intentional, I will miss opportunities to honor God with the time He's given me. If I just go along and pay no attention, do whatever happens to be in front of me, I will miss opportunities that God has given me in the time that He gives me. The short time that I have here on this earth. So how do I use time wisely." In Ephesians 5, 17 to 21, I think there's five wise uses of time. I'd like to look at those briefly this morning. Verses 17 and 18 each contrast two things, don't do this, instead live this way. So let's just notice those Um, in verse 17. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Unwise is thoughtless, or that's the way the the New Living Translation translates it. Don't live thoughtlessly, but understand what God's will is. Continue to grow in your understanding of God's will. You know, Jesus is our example. He said that He came to earth to do the Father's will. And in Mark 1, verse 35, it says, In the morning, rising up a great while before day, He went out and departed into a solitary place, and there prayed. You remember the story, and later the the disciples come looking for Him, and they say, everybody's looking for you. But Jesus took time. Early in the morning, a long time, before dawn, he's out praying. He's talking to the Father. He wants to understand what God's will is for him. He came to earth to do the Father's will. This is how Jesus understood His Father's will for him. You ever feel like there's not enough time to do everything you need to do. I think that's a fairly, I see heads nodding. I think that's a fairly common uh, feeling, especially in, with the part of life I've been through so far, I'd say especially in middle age. Now I haven't experienced the, what you older folks have yet, but it seems like you've got a generation behind you and a generation ahead of you that both, and so you're, you're paying attention to a widespread of things. And it feels like you're pulled in a lot of different directions. But it's a good thing. Henry Blackaby said, unlike people, God never piles on more than someone can handle. God never overbooks people. God never drives His servant to the point of breakdown. God never burns people out. God never gives people tasks that are beyond the strength or ability that He provides. So God provides. So why is it? Why do we struggle with too much to do? I had to look at myself and realize maybe it's because I'm running my own, on my own agenda. Maybe I don't know when to say no. I think there will always be things we can't get everything. We can't accomplish everything we would like to. I I never will. But I need to know, what are God's priorities? What is important to Him? What do I say yes to? Because every time I say yes to something, I'm saying no to probably several other things. I have to say no to something. The important thing is, what are God's priorities? What is God's will for me? God's will for me may not be some big, obvious thing. It may be as simple as serving the people that He's placed in my life. Can the mundane responsibilities of life have eternal value? Things like earning a living? Things like preparing meals and washing dishes? I believe they can. When they're done out of love for God and the people I'm serving, they do have eternal value. And the question is what am who am I becoming as I care? for the people around me, the people I'm serving, or am I serving just myself? 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 3 says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. What is sanctification? In simple terms, sanctification is the process of God making me more like Jesus. It continues throughout my life. God continues to work with me, continues to work in me. And I'm so glad He does. That process doesn't stop as long as we're here, I don't believe. God's will is your sanctification. God's will is that I live a holy life. Holy is pure, without sin, set apart. For God's use. You know, as I read Scripture and I ask the Holy Spirit for His direction, God will help me understand. What is His will in the situation that I'm in? What would He have me do? I will use my time wisely when I understand what God's will is and align myself with that. We find the next one in in verse 18. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. So don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Don't submit your bodies to the control of wine. Instead, submit to the control of the Spirit. When someone is drunk, everyone around them knows it. It's Their actions, it's obvious. The alcohol affects how they what they say or how they say things how what they do it's it's very obvious the person who is drinking dulls his senses and wastes precious time we should be so completely under the holy spirit's control that it's obvious to everyone around us it will affect what i say and what i do Be filled with the Spirit. Skevington Wood said it well when he said, speaking of be filled with the Spirit, the imperative makes it clear that this is a command for all Christians. The present tense rules out any once-for-all reception of the Spirit, but points to a continuous replenishment. Literally, it says, go on being filled by the Spirit. The Christian life should be an uninterrupted filling. Let me read that once more. I know it's a, it's a long quote. The imperative makes it clear that this is a command for all Christians. The present tense rules out any once-for-all reception of the Spirit, but points to a continuous replenishment. Literally, go on being filled by the Spirit. The Christian life should be an uninterrupted filling. Being filled with the Spirit is consciously making myself available to follow the promptings of the Spirit. Asking for the Holy Spirit's empowerment for a specific task or ministry. When I am continually filled with the Spirit, I will use my time wisely. Verse 19. speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Singing. I am so glad that singing is a regular part of our worship. It's a part that all of us can actively participate in. We're actively involved. You know, speaking to one another in songs, hymns, spiritual songs, Notice it doesn't say speaking to God, speaking to one another. But some it's interesting that some songs are songs sung to God. For instance, great is thy faithfulness, O God our Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not, we could go on. We're, we're singing to God. There are other songs we sing to each other. For instance, rise up, O man of God, have done with lesser things. It's encouraging each other to go on in our relationship with God and living out what He would have us do. Praising God and encouraging each other. I can't tell you how many times I've come here and my spirits are lifted by uniting our voices, singing together. Have you ever wondered how God feels as He listens to us sing? Does God have feelings, emotions? I think he does. Occasionally I think about that. We're sitting here singing. I'll be looking at what we're singing, and I wonder, what does God feel? I believe God loves to hear us sing to him, even if we don't get it perfect. One thing I appreciate about hymns is the powerful truths that are communicated, and they stick with us because they're set to music. That tune helps it stick in our memories. In fact, the early church, they had uh, songs that that was the way they remembered things. You had a tune, you sang it, and it helped commit it to memory. One way we can use time wisely is singing. Verse 20. Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks always for all things. Having always and all in there makes so it's not Simple. It's even for things that I wouldn't choose. Even for things I'd rather not have in my life. Even for very difficult things. You know, I have a choice. I can focus on what I don't have, and I'll become very bitter. Or I can focus on what I do have and be thankful for what I do have. a thankful person. As I realize how much I've been forgiven when I realize the love that's been given to me when I was God's enemy I will realize that I can trust God's heart toward me and I will be a thankful person. When I am thankful in every situation I'm using my time wisely. I want to be a thankful person. The last verse I want to look at this morning is very short. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Verse 21. Being open to receive input from other members of Christ's body. Because I fear God. Because we all belong to Him. And I will give account to Him someday. Just like my foot needs my leg, like my foot needs my hand, I need the other members of Christ's body. I'm not made to live alone. I don't have all the answers. I need the rest of Christ's body, the church. At our house, we have a little Jack Russell Terrier. Her name is Julia and she's, how old is she Micah? See, just over a year. So she's still a puppy. She's still, she has a lot to learn yet, but she's improved quite a bit from when we got her around a year ago. When we first got her, we started working on training her right away because I know that she'll have a much happier life and probably a longer life if she learns to submit than she will if I just let her go and let her do her own thing, and so will the rest of us. At first, when I wanted her to do something, she's very intelligent, and when she realized I wanted her to do something that she didn't want to do, she would show her teeth and she'd growl and pop her teeth at me, and it's the same thing as shouting, I'm the boss, don't tell me what to do and she's threatening me. Well, after I bit her over the muzzle, she, <laughs> she decided that wasn't a good idea. Um, she is the toughest dog I've ever had to train. I had to bite her repeatedly actually before she gave up and uh, she doesn't do that anymore. Usually it just takes once or twice. But anyway, she, did, she didn't like the idea of submitting her will. To someone else. She wants to do what she wants to do. She's like a lot of us. To train Julia to pee outside, because we would like to have her come in, we watch for the signs that she needs to go, and then quick take her outside to the area we want her to go, and then give her a treat, give her something good when she does it, and really praise her. She'll want to do it again. She decides that uh, submission is actually pleasant. She's enjoying this, now we have a bell hanging on the door, hangs down from the handle, and if she needs to go outside, she goes over and rings the bell, and then we know, oh, Joey's got to pee, let's let her out. Well, then I have to make a decision. Now she goes over and she rings the bell, and I think, she's just been out five minutes ago. We actually have a rotation in the evening. We take turns, and I'll say, Micah, it's your turn. No, see, it's not my turn, is it? isn't it your turn? Well, we keep track, and... Whoever's turn it is has to submit to Julia's need. Now we submit to her. She said she needs help, so we go over. We open the door for her so she can go out and do her thing outside. When we submit to each other, we are using time wisely. You know, there are a host of other things that would be using my time wisely that are not mentioned here. But with these five as a foundation, I can build a life that will stand the test of time. With these five things as a foundation, I can build a life that will stand the test of time. Back to my timeline back here. Creation, and we're... I believe over here, pretty close. We could have moved this little man around a bit, but I think we're somewhere in here, close to the day of the Lord. We're close to eternity future. We're close to the promise of God, Jesus' return. And it will happen. We we can look forward to that time. As we approach the day of the Lord... The day of Jesus' return, it's good for us to go back to 2 Peter and look at how he said we should live as the day of the Lord approaches. I want to do that in closing. 2 Peter chapter 3, I'm going to read verse 13 again and the next two verses. Nevertheless, he's just said that the earth The heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, without spot, blameless. And consider that the longsuffering of our Lord is salvation. I'm going to pause there. Would you stand, please? I'm gonna, I'm gonna read these last two verses in Second Peter chapter three as a benediction. Second Peter three, seventeen and eighteen. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. Thank you for being here, and you're dismissed.